everyone. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to the Grim Curriculum. Well, we are past Halloween now. It is over. And honestly, I feel like we are being bombarded by Christmas at every angle. (laughs) It comes so fast, doesn't it? I swear, I know this is such a boomer thing to say, but every year it gets faster and faster and faster. (laughs) I feel like we just blinked and it was, you know, we were suddenly from June to October. Seriously, this entire year has gone by so fast. I honestly, I have decided, I think I said this last year, I'm pretty sure I did. uh, (laughs) I'm going to try to be more festive this year. Christmas wise, you mean? Yeah. I think we are also going to have to be because I believe my in-laws are coming. Cody's parents will be coming for Christmas this year. And we don't actually even, oh my God, you guys are going to be so mad. We don't actually have a Christmas tree of our own right now because we've always been at either his parents or my parents for Christmas. So we never really bothered with it. But now everyone's coming to our house. I guess we're going to have to kind of get on that. That's exciting, though. You should get one of those fun ones. I want a pink Christmas tree. Oh, that would be super cool. I'm hoping maybe one day when we have a big, beautiful house of our own, um, maybe we'll have like a different themed Christmas tree on every floor kind of thing. Ooh, that's fancy. Look at you. You got to have dreams, you guys. <laughs> we we are also going to be covering some kind of Christmas themed stories this year. Last year, we covered our top uh, Christmas monsters. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of like folklore and things yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. I love stuff like that. And we also covered the Lawson family murders that happened around Christmas time. So if you have any suggestions for us, let us know. Email us at thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. I'd like to find some interesting stories. So we're currently on the hunt for those. With all that being said, welcome to the conclusion of our Bell Gunness series. Today, we are going to be covering what was found at the Gunnis Farm, as well as the fate of Ray Lamphere. Speaking of fate, we're also going to try and answer the age-old question, what the hell actually happened to Belle Gunnis? Seriously, they found her headless body, but what happened to her head? And was it even her head to begin with? Like we mentioned when we started this series, Belle Gunnis is someone who is shrouded in mystery. And here's the thing. We know she's sneaky. We know she's a conniving and evil human being who has repeatedly committed both murder and arson. So let's think about that. Some of the theories that we're going to get into later in the episode, they make total sense to me because I honestly just don't think she'd go out like that. No, I agree. I think this is... Far from the end of the plans of Belgunis. Now that we made it to the end, I gotta ask you, where is your head at so far? And what are your thoughts on Miss Bell? Like we kind of mentioned in the previous episode, her children were found dead in their beds. They had also perished in the fire. Now, if we assume that Belle did not go out that day, um, it clearly proves that she was willing to uh, once again murder all of her children in order to put herself first when she thought maybe authorities were getting a little too close to her. And we've seen before that she was not against murdering children, so... Exactly. So we're going to pick up right where we left off last week with the Gunnis home burnt to the ground. The bodies of the children, like we said, were found still in their beds. The body of Belle Gunnis was found, but missing her head, which they were unable to locate. 
I did some digging because I was curious about if they had any theories about why her head was missing. Because that seemed weird to me, like that the head was just gone. Right, because right off the bat, it already implies that it wasn't just a case of they were caught in a house that burnt down. They were murdered first before the house burnt down. It's interesting that you say that because originally it was reported that the body was decapitated by, and this is a quote, the ruthless and torturing flames. I feel like that's not a thing that happens. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys, but that's not a thing. No, I think not. Because even if, say, the body had been so badly burned that it had started to crumble or fall apart, first of all, I feel like it would have to get way hotter uh, at a burning temperature in order to do that. And there would be still evidence of the head found with the rest of the body, right? Like it doesn't just explode into dust and the rest of the body (laughs) remains intact. Like that's not how that works. No, and I'm surprised that they kind of settled on that so quickly because it just like, I don't know, this is obviously a very long time ago, but you're right. That makes no sense. No, and I'm assuming not to dig super deep into this because it's an incredibly morbid topic, of course, but the children were all found with their heads, even though they had also been burnt. So it wouldn't really make sense that it would just spontaneously pop off and run away. Right? I mean, really now. (laughs) So, Ray was the main suspect at this time, and he had been arrested until they could find more information to put him on trial. The next step in the investigation would be to search the burnt-down property in hopes of locating her head. What they found was much, much worse. They went into this hoping to find a head, and instead they found a mass grave. And by now, Andrew Halgelian's brother had arrived in Laporte after writing to Belle and being invited out to look for him with her. And we want to put a little call out for help to you, dear listeners, uh, with some Norwegian pronunciation, because we were stuck on this uh, name last week. And you may have noticed we didn't mention the name of Andrew's brother. And it was Um, because we were having a little trouble deciding on a correct pronunciation. So we are going to call out to you listeners to see if anybody knows. It is A-S-L-E, which I feel like is pronounced asshole. Yeah, or like asshole, which I I don't know if that's right. So perhaps we're putting the emphasis on the wrong part of the word. Or if it is a Norwegian name, perhaps we're pronouncing it wrong altogether. So let us know if you know. Yes, uh, thegrimcurriculum at gmail.com. Please help us. So (laughs) with the house burnt down and the family all supposedly dead, Sheriff Smutzer knew that he had one hell of a case on his hands. Sure, crime happened in Laporte, but something like this was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. But as bad as it was, it was only going to get way, way worse. This all started when Andrew Helgelian's brother had spoken with Sheriff Smutzer and told him that he believed that Bell was a murderer. Shortly after this, Joe Maxson showed up with more information. He recalled a series of strange things that Bell asked him to do. One day, she called on him to bring her multiple wheelbarrows full of dirt and drop them off near her hogs. While doing that, he noticed multiple spots in the hog pen that had been recently covered by fresh dirt. 
He asked what was in the holes and she told him it was garbage. She then instructed him to fill the holes further so that the ground was even and he did what he was told. For Sheriff Smutzer, this was more than enough to show him that he more than likely had multiple cases of murder on his hands. The men got together and formed a search team. They began by digging in the spots where Joe Maxson had said Belle buried her garbage. And it wasn't long before a terrible smell began to emanate from the ground. At first, Joe reminded them that they were digging in a pit full of garbage, but it wasn't long before they realized that garbage wasn't what they were smelling. It was death. They dug further and found a large sack with a tear in it, exposing a human neck. Right next to it was an arm. Coroner Charles S. Mack was present on the scene. Right away, a few things were clear. One, the corpse was decayed almost beyond recognition. Two, there were obvious defensive wounds present. They described the face as something like a Halloween mask. And before anyone asked that question, yes, Halloween was definitely a thing during that time. His brother took one look at the corpse and deducted that it was his brother, stating... When you have been with your brother every day for 15 years, you know him. The coroner asked Joe Maxson if he knew about any other spots on the property where Belle, quote-unquote, buried her garbage. He said yes and led the men to another spot. And this is when things really began to snowball. A crowd began to gather as the spots were investigated. They found a series of dismembered torsos and sacks with various arms, legs, and heads strewn about. This would have been such an unbelievable scene to witness because as more corpses are discovered, more and more people are gathering to witness it. And before they knew it, the property was full of curious onlookers. It was so bad that they had to construct a makeshift morgue in a nearby shed. They were able to piece together two men, one woman, and an adolescent. Like we mentioned before, Belle had learned the art of butchering from her late husband, Peter Gunnis. Who she also butchered in a way, so it's no surprise that she used these skills when it came to disposing her victims. Sheriff Smutzer paid Ray Lamphere a visit. He told him about what was found on the property. Ray was shocked. He admitted that he knew Belle was bad, but not that bad. He was led from his cell and was greeted with a group of reporters who wanted nothing more than to know every grisly detail about the unfolding story. He admitted to them as well that there were times when she was suspicious. He also told them that at one point, Belle had him buy strange things like chloroform. How is that not? I mean, this woman is surrounded by red flags, but how is that not one of them? I can't think of a practical reason why a normal civilian person who isn't, say, a doctor or a dentist would have chloroform in their home. So that's, yeah, immediately suspicious to me. He was blinded by the sexy lust that was Belle Gunnis. That is true. They uh, they did have a relationship of sorts. Ugh. The reporters also asked him about Jenny and if one of the bodies that had been found belonged to her. Ray stated that he wasn't sure, and he didn't know that much about what they had found. He was also asked about Andrew Helgelian. Ray was visibly flustered and said that he didn't want to talk about Andrew. He also shared that Belle had gone as far as to forbid him from speaking to Andrew at all. Eventually, a search for more bodies on another spot on the farm began. 
Once again, it didn't take long before a grisly scene was discovered. The worst part about this next body was that it was found disposed of in a latrine. But fun fact about the investigators is that they were able to stop halfway through for a lunch break. And I can't imagine having any kind of appetite after something like that. Like, she hid these bodies, like, where she had left poo. That's so egregious that not only has she murdered these men for money, but to dispose of them this way as well is absolutely unacceptable. It's awful. If you haven't, like, seen it by now, like, this woman is a fucking monster in every single way. Like, the fact that she did that, like, adds so much insult to injury in the worst way possible. I mean, but she could have been onto something fairly smart in the sense that the bacteria and stuff that comes along with that sort of biological material would break down the bodies a lot faster. So I don't know if she actually had that in mind or if it was just an area of convenience for her, but nonetheless. That's really gross. I never thought of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Fun facts with Charlotte. (laughs) Multiple body parts were found once again, a Chicago newspaper would later report the following. A second spade full of dirt and bones revealed the fact that three bodies were hidden in the hole. All of the bodies were wrapped in gunny sacks. Quicklime had been placed in the sacks, but it had been poorly applied to the bodies. Many pieces of flesh clung to the bones where the lime had not eaten. As the leg bones were drawn out, the marks on them revealed for the first time the horrible, insane anger which the woman worked over her victims. About the joints, she hacked them with an axe. The bones had been crushed on the ends as though they had been struck with a hammer after they were dismembered. Two of the skulls were near each other. They had been buried face up. Quick lime had been scattered over the faces and stuffed in the ears. In one of the heads, a sufficient quantity had not been placed and the brain remained intact. The lower parts of the bodies were decomposed and it was not possible to tell whether they were men or women. That's insane. And it makes me wonder, of course, we've long established that any of these crimes that are being committed by Belle are for financial gain. That's her main goal in life. But the description here makes me think that at this point, one, she's probably so incredibly efficient at this, but two, there has to be a part of her that must enjoy it because she certainly does not flinch from it. I think there must have been because my theory, I could be wrong, but she loved money more than anything. And these Mm -hmm. men were just something that were in the way for her to get this money. They were no different to her than butchering a pig. Totally. In fact, she definitely treated them like cattle in the sense she sort of attracts them in, takes whatever she wants from them and then discards them, right? They call her the butcher. I mean, it is such an accurate word for her because that is exactly what she did to them. But I do just have to say it just shows how sensationalist the newspapers were even then because it sounds like an autopsy report, not a news story. I would feel it's such like a almost Victorian era that this would be very scandalous material to be reading about. That's why people were so obsessed with it. Oh, 100%. It's incredibly shocking. They were unable to identify a large portion of the bodies, but some of them were identified as Joe Moe, Ole Budsberg, Henry Gernholt, and Thomas Linbow. 
One thing we really want to talk about when it comes to this part of the case is the reaction of the public. Like we mentioned, the press was all over this and newspapers all around the country were talking about Belle Gunnis. They reported how she lured her victims and described in great detail, like we just saw, all of the horrid details about ongoing discoveries on the farm. The property became a huge tourist attraction. People traveled for days just for a chance to peer into the hog pen and maybe see something grisly. People literally ripped pieces off of the fence surrounding the property and the hog pen to take with them as souvenirs. And we've seen this before many times with these old-timey cases. I like this because there's this misconception that true crime is something that's trendy or just something that people are into now. And we see this kind of reaction from way back then. And it's like, we have always been obsessed with fucked up shit. 100%. I think to be human is to have a somewhat more curiosity with death and I would say that maybe not everyone has quite the curiosity that we do but I think it's there's this mystery around it right and when something this crazy happens it's kind of as close as you get to it without experiencing it for yourself Oh, definitely. And this is one of those stories where if this happened today, it would be just as shocking, if not more so. It's very much reminding me of the Willie Picton case that was obviously much more recent, but up here in Canada, in British Columbia, right? She had essentially a a people farm. (laughs) Yep. So despite all of this, Ray Lamphere still had to stand trial for the suspected murder of Belle and her children, and during the trial, a lot of interesting information came up. This included Joe Maxson testifying that he saw the jawbone taken out of old Klondike's pocket and placed onto the crime scene. That, among other things, made it impossible to prove that Ray Lamphere was guilty of murder. The good news was that he was acquitted of the murder charge. The bad news was that they still had him for arson, and for that, he was given a 20-year sentence. On December 30th, 1909, Ray Lamphere died of tuberculosis. Two weeks later, the reverend who was present during his dying moments revealed Ray's shocking confession. Ray allegedly swore that he had never murdered anyone, let alone Belle Gunnis. Not only that, he claimed that she was very much still alive and well. He said that he was involved in helping her dispose of the bodies and shared how Belle would kill her victims. First, she would get them to the house. Belle would do everything to ensure that they felt safe and at ease with her. She would cook the man a large meal, all while telling him how amazing she thought he was. Sometimes she would make the man a coffee that had been laced with something to make him pass out. When he did, she would kill him by using a tool like a meat cleaver. And this tracks with the death of Peter Gunnis. Other times, she would simply wait for the man to fall asleep. Then she would creep slowly to his bedside and again kill him with something similar to a meat cleaver. And this also tracks because we have an almost victim who said that she did this to him. Another thing that he said that we have reports of is that sometimes she would get tired partway through dismembering the corpse and pick up where she left off late at night. Because of this, she often stayed up late and buried the bodies in the hog pen in the middle of the night. So if Belle hadn't died in that fire, who did the headless corpse belong to? 
So believe it or not, he talked about this in his confession as well. He said that a few days prior, Belle had lured a woman into her home under the guise of hiring her on as a housekeeper. She drugged her and decapitated her. After she did that, Belle dressed the woman in her clothing and took out her fake teeth. After she killed the children by smothering them to death, she had Ray help her escape. During this confession, Ray said that he took her to a nearby town where she caught a train to Chicago. He also claimed that by his count, she was responsible for the deaths of 42 men. That number was never confirmed, and nowhere near that amount of bodies were found on her property. However, there is always a chance that not all of the victims were found. It might not have been 42, but it was definitely a lot. Ray stated that Belle had every advantage when it came to running off and getting away with the crime because she had the money to do so. The fact that she withdrew most of her funds right before the fire definitely makes you think. That's the route that my brain goes. Same. <laughs> I think she I think she absolutely thought ahead. She's like, okay, hey, I'm going to need a woman's body. Housekeeper it is. She's going to take my place. Basically, fuck these kids and then get Ray to help because he's a simp for me. <laughs> right? That's exactly it. I mean, she is cunning and she is out there looking for number one. Yes, absolutely. No one has ever come first before Bell Gunnis in Bell Gunnis's eyes. That's for damn sure. Main character syndrome. Very, very much so. After her crimes came to light, the legend of Bell Gunnis really began. It really doesn't seem like anyone believed she was dead. The confession from Ray Lamphere really helped with that. It was reported that on April 29, 1908, a woman fitting her description boarded a train to Chicago. On May 8, another woman was detained on the train until it was proven that she was not Belle. For decades after the fire, people reported seeing Belle Gunnis all around the United States. Usually, it would be short glimpses of someone who kind of looked like her, but other times, it was enough to make people wonder. In 1931, it was reported that Belle may have been living in Mississippi, where she owned numerous pieces of land and lived in great comfort and wealth. Sheriff Smutzer would later report that, for over 20 years later, he would get at least two reports a month of possible Bell sightings. Every single Bell sighting was proved to be false, except for one. That same year, a woman named Esther Carlson was arrested for attempting to poison a man named August Lindstrom. Multiple people who knew Belle claimed that she was now living as Esther Carlson. However, Esther died before she could face trial. We found a clipping from the 1931 Tampa Times regarding Esther being Belle, and we wanted to share some of it with you guys. The recent death of Mrs. Esther Carlson in Los Angeles, identified as Mrs. Belle Gunnis, has revived interest in the most gruesome of crimes in modern times. Los Angeles police are not convinced that Mrs. Carlson and Mrs. Gunnis were one and the same. Pictures of the two bear little resemblance to each other, but Indiana authorities declare that they are the same woman, other evidence verifying the identification. I wonder how they would even confirm it in those days. Actually, now that I'm thinking that, Belle had been on trial before. I wonder if fingerprints would have come into play here. So we just took a quick sec off mic to just confirm when fingerprinting became a popular thing with law enforcement, and it turns out that it was indeed around 1931, which means the first time that Belle went on trial, she likely would not have been fingerprinted. So 
I'm not sure how else they would have identified her. I feel like Indiana authorities really wanted to have an answer and they probably maybe I don't know, maybe they did jump the gun. Maybe it was her. We don't know. And that's the thing. Like, I could see her doing something like this because if John List can do it, Belle Gunnis can do it. Oh, absolutely. And if she's like Ray said, she had the money and the means to do so. She was in a position of privilege in even in those days. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it would not surprise me at all if she kind of lived out her days. It also does not surprise me that she couldn't resist doing it one more time. The question of whether or not Belle died in the fire has never fully been answered, but that's not without trying. In 2007, descendants of Bell's sister gave permission for the headless body to be exhumed and the DNA to be compared to theirs. Unfortunately, there was not enough DNA left on the body to be gathered. Other avenues were going to be explored, but it doesn't even seem like any answers were ever given. We are seeing so much information coming out with older cases when it comes to DNA, and I really hope that one day we find out exactly what happened to her. I will say you gave me a little bit of hope there when you said the DNA testing, so it made me a little sad that it didn't really come to anything. Maybe in the future we would be able to, either through new advances or whatever, or maybe we find something else. I would love to get an answer to this story because it is one of those sort of uncertain solved things where it hangs in the air and you're kind of left wondering what the hell happened. And it's one of those things where it's right on the cusp of it wasn't long. I mean, it was a long time ago, but it wasn't too long ago where the chances of us getting answers are zero. Like you never know. We could find out one day. Absolutely. I mean, we could even find a diary or something that gives it all away. Who can really say? I mean, the story of Belgunis is one that might not be as well known, uh, especially as some other serial killers that we've done in the past. But there's no doubt that she is by far one of the most vicious and least remorseful women we have ever covered. I am sorry. I would pay so much money to read her diary. Can you imagine Oh, I'm sure it would be shocking even by today's standards because oh. I think Belle was a little cuckoo. <laughs> I can only like the the idea of reading what exactly she thought about the those men. I would imagine she was almost Terminator-like in her mission. They were just a means to an end. I don't know that she felt really anything for any of them. No. And and honestly, like that's you you mentioned that when it came to her kids, like it yeah. doesn't shock me that they were just something that was in the way. She was probably honestly disappointed that she wasn't able to claim the life insurance money for murdering them. Yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that chapter asked for years after the fact. Right, absolutely. She kind of almost reminds me of like an old timey Eileen Wernos. Yes, a little bit. Again, men are just a means to an end in that sense. And dear listeners, that concludes our series on Belle Gunnis, the Butcher of Men. I really hope you all enjoyed this one, including you, Charlotte. This is one of those stories I think it should be more well known because it is wild from start to finish. Honestly, I very much enjoyed this. It was a roller coaster ride from beginning to end. And while I was vaguely familiar with her story, I know she was this Black Widow character. 
I didn't realize the extent to which she went. And I didn't realize that she became even more of a legend after her supposed death. Bad bitch, Belle. She certainly was, but she was also an evil bitch, so... <laughs> she's bad bitch, Belle. Like, not not like a baddie. Like, she's a no, bad... No, just bad, 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 bad vibes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so some lighter topics here just before the end of the episode. Of course, we have our live show coming up, our very, very first live podcast episode December 9th, Felice Cafe here in Edmonton. Tickets are on Eventbrite, film noir theme, so come dressed up if that's your thing. It's going to be a great time. We're hella excited. I'm honestly so stoked. It is going to be a wonderful evening, and it, it is right around the corner. Like, ooh, I'm excited. It's going to be great. You should come. If you can, be there. Yes, we would love to see your faces in person. I also just want to talk real quick. If you are listening to this with us on YouTube right now and you're at our little live premiere and you've joined in on the discussion, I will be going live on Twitch very shortly for Extra Life. It is Extra Life game day, November 4th, today, Saturday. Me and a bunch of my other gamer friends are raising money for our local children's hospital, the Stollery. So if you'd like to come hang out on Twitch, I'll be playing games all day as well as some group games with my friends. We're hoping to go for 24 hours. So come hang out, donate if you can. The link is in my bio across all the socials and I'll have it in the description below. And it is that time of the episode. I want to say a giant thank you to our grim VIPs and up on Patreon. Thank you so much to Triforce, Mayhem Mudkip, Brian, Hillary, Judy, Atlantean Jedi, Lisa, and Bob. Thank you so much. You are amazing. You are the bomb.com, the titty city. You know the drill. You are awesome, and we appreciate the heck out of you. And you, dear listeners, if you are not amongst those that we just named, check out our Patreon. It's a great way to support patreon.com slash the grim curriculum. Also visit all of our links for merch and all of that good stuff too, because uh, we got some good shit. Yes, and I need to get our stickers up on the Etsy because I have a couple new designs ready to go. And I've got some new cute ones on the way as well. And they're some of my favorites that we've ever done, actually. So I will let you guys know when those are available. We're hoping to have some of those goodies at our live show as well in person. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been The, the Grim, Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Dina, did you know that our friends at the bottom of the sea, lobsters, they don't die due to aging. They actually get stronger and more fertile with age due to the presence of enzyme telomerase, which repairs their DNA sequence, so they actually don't die unless you kill them. Oh, that makes it so much sadder that we do. It really does, and they just get bigger and stronger until basically they can't support their fat little bodies. <laughs> Man, we really don't know what's in our oceans, do we? We don't. And honestly, the lobsters are probably the least of our problems. <laughs> Not wrong. Bye. Bye.